Actually, Ruth's words serve as a great segue into the prepared thought. So let's just sort of wade into it. Because as I listened to her, I think she spoke, she did, she spoke very honestly and very real. I think one thing Ruth said was it's not practical to have dreams, and I'm not rebutting Ruth, but what I would say is this, as I thought about it, I thought, well, then, if that's the case, then we must say that the kingdom of God is not practical. But as I have been challenged by the Gospels, and I've been challenged by Jesus, what I have come to understand and wrestle with is the most practical thing in this world is the kingdom of God. That God's dream for the world is much more practical than I realize. It's God's intent for the world as to how the world is to be. So what does that look like in terms of my life, in terms of your life? And I know what Ruth is talking about. You ever have dreams as a kid? Believe it or not, I dreamed of being an NBA player. We lived in Dublin, Indiana, and there was an alley right next to our house, and there was a basketball goal, and I was some days Walt Frazier, I was some days Oscar Robertson, some days I was John Havlicek. And then I stopped growing around high school, and I got cut from the tryout, so I had to shelve that dream. No more NBA dream. I moved on to other things. I dreamed of being a Major League Baseball player. Pretty much, I had my actual apology written out to Johnny Bench after I broke all of his records for the Cincinnati Reds. Dear Johnny, I'm sorry. I'm much better than you. That didn't work out either, as you can tell. And then I had a dream to be pastor of Deep River Friends Meeting, and it just all worked out so well. We have dreams. Some of them don't pan out the way we had hoped. Some of them do. Some of them might still be in process. But it's those dreams in which we envision that maybe the seemingly impossible might be, impo- might be possible. And so because of that possibility, we do what we can to work towards it in hopes that it will come to fruition. It's what gets us out of bed. It's what helps us take that next step. It's what keeps hope alive, whatever phrase you may want to use. But I believe that to be true. This is how businesses have been started. It's how cures for diseases have been discovered. It's how schools and hospitals have been built. It's how seemingly insurmountable challenges and problems have been addressed. Architect and urban planner Daniel Burnham was once quoted as saying, quote, make no little plans. They have no magic to stir people's blood and probably will not themselves be realized. Make big plans. Aim high in hope and work and remember that a noble diagram once recorded will never die. But long after we are gone, it will be a living thing. It was those very words that inspired Millard Fuller who was and is and was the founder of Habitat for Humanity. He gathered a group of folks in September of 1976 down in the Koinonia Farms in Georgia. He had just come back from Africa. He had just seen how simple, decent places to live had been structured and built there to help people. And so together they, quote, prayed and dreamed and discussed and brainstormed together and asked the question, what is God calling us to do with this idea, this idea of making sure that everyone has a decent place to live? In 1976, this little dream, and since that time, over 800,000 houses have been built since 1976 with their goal of building one million. 6.8 million people are now living in habitat homes, and so much more is needed. But what if Millard Fuller had said, you know what, 
This just is not practical. We would have 6.8 million people without homes right now. We would have 800,000 less decent places to live. If Millard Fuller had just said, people are going to think I'm crazy. People are going to think I'm foolish. It was Martin Luther's King, Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech on August of 1963 during this march on Washington for jobs and freedom in which he called this end to racism and called for economic and civil rights. It was this speech in his dream that spurred a whole movement in which he just basically said what? I have a dream. Dreams make things happen. We think of them as being unrealistic thinking, ways to avoid reality, but it's the dreams that end up changing people, that end up changing the world. It's not just self-help positive talk. It is also the way God works in the world through people and how God wants to work through the world through people. Now, we see this in the book of Acts. Well, Ray read this morning where the Spirit's poured out on those gathered in this upper room with this infusion of the Spirit. The Spirit is promised by Jesus. He promises the Spirit before his death and resurrection. So the presence of Christ now is with humanity in a much more powerful and intimate way. And quoting Peter, he stands up, he tries to bring clarity to this moment, and he says, folks, in the last days it will be, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, that is, Children will be infused with the Spirit. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. There is this inclusivity of the Spirit's outpouring on all flesh, and it seems appropriate. Now, this is what I find fascinating, that young men shall see vision, and old men shall see dreams. Now, I don't know if Peter intended this, but I do know this. I often see men reach a point in their life where their vision for life has dimmed so much that they just want to dream again. I really think... Peter's on to something here. I think young men in the early years, they have a lot of visions. And somehow those visions get clouded out. Somehow they get lost. Somehow they get dashed. I think men later in life just say, I just want to dream again. I want to feel like my life is significant. I want to feel like I'm making a difference. I want to make a positive contribution. Not just men, but women as well. That's why I think it's very real here. But what Peter is saying is through the Spirit that is possible. We are given that capacity to dream again. The book of Acts is this record of how the Spirit moves and changes and transforms people through dreams and visions which propel them into the world. In Acts chapter 10, Peter's assumptions and understanding of who, he can be in, of who can be included in the Christian community is challenged. I'm not going to read that story in total. You can read it for yourself in Acts chapter 10. But basically, God gives Peter this dream and invites him to eat unclean animals. And being a very good Jewish person in that tradition, Peter says, well, I can't do that. But through this vision, through this dream, Peter has this huge shift in his understanding and comes to see that the Gentiles now need to be included in this Christian community without any added legalistic burdens such as circumcision. This story is a witness to how it takes a heart change by God to often remove the blinders from our eyes that excludes others. Like Peter, we're blinded by our prejudices, our biases, our stereotypes, our assumptions. But then the Spirit of God comes to us, grants us a vision of how it can be different, grants us a dream of how it can be different, how we can be more inclusive. And it happens, but it takes a work of the Spirit to give us that shift. Acts chapter 16, Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia pleading for Paul to come to them and offer ministry to help them and 
And Paul responds to that vision. He responds to that dream, and he shifts his plans, and he travels and goes to Macedonia and begins to offer ministry and service to the world. All of this I'm saying, friends, is I think a result that God has a dream for this world. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's God's intent for creation. This is what we often refer to as God's dream, a world in which all flourish and all are living in harmony and all live in wholeness. But we know the world is broken. We know it lacks full harmony. We know it lacks full wholeness and flourishing. But God's dream continues and his spirit continues. It energizes us. It empowers us. It calls us to partner with God in helping to make God's dream a reality in this world. I believe that. I have to believe it because there are just some mornings and some days I just don't want to trudge anymore. There are some days I just want to give up, honestly. There are some days I just say to myself, it just doesn't really matter anymore. People are going to do what they're going to do. They're going to be what they're going to be. Why even try? You ever have those moments? I'll take that as an amen, Mona. (laughs) We all have those moments. It's real stuff. But you see, I think the Spirit is relentless and will not allow us to stay that way. The only way I believe I will stay that way and you will stay that way is if we want to be that way. And we keep tossing up whatever barriers and excuses and ways to defend against the Spirit that successfully remove us from being energized and excited and enthused about what possibilities may exist. Desmond Tutu, a South African Anglican bishop, wrote these words, God has a dream. It is one of a church and society where people matter more than things, more than possessions, where human life is not just respected but positively revered, where people will be secure and not suffer from the fear of hunger, from ignorance, from disease, where there will be more gentleness, more caring, more sharing, more compassion, more laughter, where there is peace and not war. I think God's dream for God's creation for our world, God invites us to be part of that through our gifts and our abilities. I think God invites us through our calling and the burdens upon our heart. I think God invites us through our faith communities and the work we do together in ministry and service. And I think God invites us through the things in this world that break our heart, those things that just tear at us and sometimes make us cry and shed a tear. Joanne Chisitor um, is a Benedictine nun. But she wrote these words, Hope requires that we spin a few dreams for ourselves that are possible, doable, and desirable. I love that phrase. Hope requires that we spin a few dreams for ourselves that are possible, doable, and desirable. So I wrote down a few dreams that I was spinning for myself, and I don't think this is all of them, but I just wrote these down. I have a dream that people will see the abundance Jesus offers them. And not just material abundance, but the kind of abundance that is a life rich with meaning and purpose and generosity. If there's anything that tugs at my heart, if there's anything that makes me sad, is to see people who just give up on meaning and purpose in life and feel like they don't have any. I have a dream that people will see that. I have a dream that people will flourish in their lives and they won't settle for languishing and just getting by but to see that they were created for so much more and that they can be so much more. Maybe you're not going to be an NBA player. I gave that dream up. Maybe you're not going to be a Major League Baseball player. I don't know what those kinds of dreams you have, but there is still within us 
that place that God calls us to be more than we can almost imagine, to do more than we can almost imagine. Again, look at Millard Fuller. Do you think when Millard Fuller started that he knew they were going to build 800,000 houses? I think when Millard Fuller started, he said, I just need enough money for one house. And one house led to another, and it led to another, and it led to another. And some of you have pounded nails in some of those houses. And some of you know that you never lived in those houses, but some of you know the satisfaction and the gratification you felt by providing and bringing some hope to this world. I have a dream that people will see life filled with hope and promise, even when they're facing challenges such as addiction and brokenness and grief and disappointments and discouragement and personal failure, and even when they just are so cynical they have given up and they can see nothing good anymore. I have a dream that people will see themselves as deeply loved by God and nothing they do or have done can ever separate them from this love of God, that we are God's beloved and that God is pleased with us. In fact, I would put it this way. God, Brennan Manning used to write this all the time, author who has passed away. He said, God doesn't just love you. God likes you. See, that's a whole different twist. We expect God to love us because that's kind of in God's job description. But did you ever, ever think that God likes you, that God delights in you, that God is pleased with you, that God loves every facet about you. I have a dream that we'll see the value and worth of every and any individual, the value and worth by the fact they are created in the image of God and there is that of God in everyone we meet. And as we seek to discover that of God in everyone, we offer them dignity and respect. I offer that for World Quaker Day, Glenn. I'll put that in. The sense of that in God, that of God in every person we meet. I have a dream that we'll discover the simplicity of life, and more than just simplicity of possessions, but this life that's uncluttered in its approach to God, a life that simply seeks to be faithful to God's leadings on a daily basis and in the ordinary. A life that's undivided, a life that's whole, a life that simply seeks to hear every day in the moment, where is God speaking to me right now? We feel the tug, we feel the leading, we feel, we feel drawn to do something, and we just do it. It may never go down in the annals of church history as something like 800,000 houses, but in that moment, we were faithful in the holy moment in the ordinary, and we answered that call, and we went on to the next thing. And then I simply have a dream that people can move beyond fear anxiousness, and cynicism, and envision a better world that includes God's dream for creation. I'm not a sociologist, and I know what you're going to say. The next thing he's going to say, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express. I'm not even going to say that, but I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a pundit. I'm not even an expert. But I will say this in my simple observation. We live in an extremely anxious and fearful world right now. And unfortunately, as family systems and family therapists will tell you, when groups and organizations and countries are extremely anxious and fearful, their only options are often things like blaming, scapegoating, and polarizing. And there is actually a condition in which it happens in families and individuals, they get what's called imagination gridlock. They just cannot think creatively and imaginatively anymore. I don't try to speak too grandiose sometimes, but I think we as a people are in imagination gridlock. We've lost our ability to imagine, to be creative, 
to think creatively because we are so anxious and we live so fearfully? What, if, what would it look like if we made the shift in a different direction? That we did say to ourselves, well, yes, dreaming is very practical. The kingdom of God is the most practical thing that could ever exist on this earth. And how can we imagine ourselves living that out? How could we imagine ourselves living differently in a way that brings redemption and hope and life and abundance to those around us? How can we move beyond the anxiousness and the fear and live into a place where we know that God is going to take care of us and God is going to provide everything for us, and all we need to do is dream a little bit more and think more imaginatively about what this world could be and how we could cooperate with God. So I'll leave you with these questions as we take a few moments. What's your dream? What's your vision for your life? What attitudes and mindsets and assumptions stand in the way of that? And then what part of God's dream calls out to you in this world, in your community, in your peer group, wherever you find yourself? What part of God's dream calls out to you?